Let me tell you something every little boy loves, or most little boys at least. There are these really old creatures. They've got sharp teeth. They're really big. Thank goodness you don't see them when you look out your window. You buy toys of them, and, and, and they tend to eat your G.I. Joes or your superheroes, you know. That's just the way it goes. You, you watch them on TV like, like, like the land before time. That was a really big deal when I was growing up. When you become a teenager, you're still kind of excited about it, you know, and you go to the theater and you see, you see Jurassic Park, right? When you go to Sunday school and you hear about Noah's Ark, you wonder, were they on there with Noah? Well, if they were, I don't know the answer to this, by the way, but if they were, they would probably would have had to be babies, right? Because you can't put dinosaurs on the ark. At least I'm guessing. By the way, someone's going to ask me afterwards what I really think about that, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Okay, um, but I remember, I remember when I was a little kid, one of the first movie recollections I have is the 1933 version of King Kong. I must have been five or six. Five or six, people, five or six. And, and I'm watching, you know, King Kong do his thing. But, but you know what really scared me? You know the thing that kept me up at night? They had this, th- th- that thing, this, this gigantic, they used to call them a brontosaurus, I think. I think there's a new name for it. I think they said that's not actually what they're called anymore. Well, whatever, whatever. Guys, that's not land before time. That's not the, the herbivore, you know, the long necks. Isn't that what they call them, the long necks? And, and like, i got to find mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you know. It, it's not that. That thing's like, bring, pull you out of the water, shake you up, and, and, and you're done for. And, and I would just imagine... I remember imagining in my bed this thing, like, his neck, like, coming up, like it did out of the water in the movie, you know, like, it was coming up. And I was like, I was sure it was in the room with me. I was sure of it. And I know a lot of kids have that same thing. They see something on TV and they're sure it's in the closet, they're sure it's under the bed. Kids, if you're here, there's nothing in the room but you and Jesus, okay? It's okay, right? Like, that's the truth. But I was, I was so, so scared, um... I think there's a fascination that we have with dinosaurs. And so I remember reading, when I was a kid, reading this passage in Job about these two great beasts. And I remember thinking, there's dinosaurs in the Bible. This is so great. Well, here's what I want to do. We're going to read the passage. We'll turn to Job 40. And then we're going to talk about what these creatures may or may not be. But even more importantly, we're going to talk about what they mean. All right? Because what they mean is more important than actually what they are. So turn in your Bibles to Job 40. If you're joining us, this is, you know, like I say, we're in the tail end of Job. We've been looking at how um, Job is a righteous man. He's an innocent man, but he's suffering. And he's done some blaming of God along the way. But he said a lot of true things about God along the way, too. But, but, but there's a key feature, and we looked at this two weeks ago, that, that Job really struggles with this sense of, God, it's a bad policy for you to afflict the righteous. That makes no sense that you would take a righteous man and like make his life hard and difficult to lose your children to lose your health, to be poor. You know, that makes no sense when I've served you so well. And Job is questioning God's 
policies. You ever done that? Question how God works out his will on earth? Why in the world do we have uh, evil and tragedy and these kinds of things? Why? Well, then listen up. Because finally God shows himself to Job, or at least speaks to Job, out of a whirlwind. And we looked last time at this idea that God kept saying, Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know how I made everything? And Job's like, No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'll just be quiet. But God presses in. He doesn't leave it there. Now, check this out with me. Now, think about this. It may be that the passage I'm about to read does a better job of explaining Job than anything we've read so far. Think about that. And these beasts as we read about them. We're in chapter 40, verse 15. Behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plant he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his his shade the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by the eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? And then we have a shift a little bit here. Can you draw out Leviathan? This is chapter 41, verse 1. Or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas with you? Will he speak to you? Uh, Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him as your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him amongst the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who first has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields. Shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to one another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as a lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing there beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does no avail, 
nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On the earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Who are these beasts? Most of the interpretations boil down to three. And I'll show you all three. Number one. Maybe they're animals that we know of, like the hippopotamus or the crocodile. And there's, and I know, first of all, I know some of you are saying, that doesn't sound like a fire-breathing crocodile to me. You know, I, I'm not sure about that. You know, the sparks and the fire from his mouth, and the hippo doesn't have a tail like a cedar, so I'm not sure how that works. But it could be poetic license, you know, being taken here. In fact, just to give an example, it was quite a thing to hunt down a hippo, and we have you know, ancient pictures of Egyptian pharaohs that are like killing a hippopotamus because it was like a a really great feat to be able to do that. So pharaohs would do it, right? So these creatures are formidable, and I don't want to meet an angry one in the water. I'll tell you that, right? So it very could, well, could be that God has in his mind things that we know, the behemoth being the hippo and the leviathan being the crocodile, right? And there's just this poetic language that exaggerates how fierce they really are. Okay? Could be. Number two. Uh, They could be animals that are now extinct, like dinosaurs. Some of you say, I knew it! I knew it! Dinosaurs! It's got to be! Is that the behemoth? Is the question, you know? The long tail, right? Uh, the, 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 The strength, the size. You don't take that guy on... And even if he is an herbivore, I don't want to get in a fight with him, right? And neither would you. How about Leviathan, right? What if there's this water-going animal, this dinosaur, and his teeth, and like, goodness gracious, don't want to take him on. What if these are extinct animals like dinosaurs? That's a common interpretation. Finally, number three they are mythological, sometimes called chaos creatures, appearing in other ancient literature. In Revelation, you're going to see Leviathan. In Job, there's, there's uh, Rahab and other beasts that have names like Leviathan. And, and, and clearly, they refer to mythological fake creatures that are nonetheless fearsome, but they can represent things. They can represent the chaos in the world. They can represent... Uh, Resisting God's plan and, and going against His ways. You know, they, they, have, they have different features in ancient literature. This is the, the slaying of the Leviathan by Dore. I think I say his name right, but um, so I thought I'd put that up for you. Um, so uh, let's have a little fun for a second here. If you were, we used to do this in youth group all the time, take a side. So, so what do you think that they are? All right. So we're just going to do raising of hands. This is very scientific right now. Okay. Very scientific. I'm going to publish this, right? Um, I'm asking you, do you think that they are creatures that we would know, like the hippo or the crocodile? 
Do you think that they are dinosaurs or do you think that they are mythological creatures? Here we go, all right? You've got to choose one, e- e- even just for the Sunday. Just for today, you've got to choose one, all right? How many say hippo or croc? Anybody. You've got to choose one, people. All right, some of you. Some of you. You're bold. That's yeah, good. But you're in the minority. You're going to lose. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, all right. How many of you say they are dinosaurs or extinct animals? Oh, look at this. Look at this. See, everything I said about our love for dinosaurs is true. You see that? I already know who wins. Okay. Finally, how many of you say they are mythological creatures? Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. All right. All right. I bet you want to know what I think. I'm not going to tell you. All right. Um... Okay, maybe I will later. We'll see. But the reason I'm not going to tell you is this. All that stuff we just said has no bearing on the interpretation that I'm about to give you. It doesn't matter if they're dinosaur. It doesn't matter if it's the hippo. What I'm about to share, any of you could, could think any of those things and still be correct. Okay? Doesn't that make everybody feel good? Everybody wins. This is good. Everybody wins. All right. Would you look at Job chapter 41, verse 10? Job chapter 41, verse 10. Have you located it? All right. Listen to this. Oh, take the point down for a second. Don't, don't, want, don't want to give away my, uh, my thing. Oh, that's all right. Um, it's all right. Look at this. Job 41, 10. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me, God says? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I see a comparison going on here in chapter 41, 10 and 11. God is saying, can you tame the Leviathan? And Job would rightly say, well, no, I can't then God will say, then who thinks they're going to tame me? There's a comparison being made between God and Leviathan that you can clearly see in Job 41. So my argument is, Leviathan is a way of comparing an a incredible creature to God. Now, look earlier. Look with me at chapter 40, verse 15. Chapter 40, verse 15. Behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. I made behemoth as I made you, Job. The comparison then is being made between Job and behemoth. Behemoth stands for Job. He stands for Job. I want you to think about behemoth the way you think about yourself. I know, you kids, are all, you're putting the connections together faster than the adults here. You're saying, wait a minute, that means we get to be the dinosaur. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You get to be the dinosaur. It's you. It's Job. You're like the behemoth. Now listen to me. <clears throat> I'm not going to read the whole passage again. <laughs> Because it took a while to read it the first time. 
But if you were to reread chapter 40 and 41 and ask yourself, how is the behemoth like Job? Here's some of the things you could say. In verse 15, we find out behemoth is well fed. So is Job. When he had all of his wealth, remember the feast that he had? He's well fed. If you look at verses 16 through 18, you find out the behemoth is strong. Guess what? Job was strong. Before he got sick, I mean. He was very strong. If you look at verse 19, you will find out there's no beast like the behemoth. He is the first of God's creations. Oh, that sounds like a strike against mythology, doesn't it? Sorry, people. Okay. Um, he is the first amongst God's creations. So is Job. He was righteous. There's nobody like Job, right? That's what Job chapter 1 tells us. Just like Behemoth, there's nothing like him. Verse 20 through 22, you see the Behemoth in the water, sheltered. It isn't that Job? Remember the hedge of protection that God put around him? He was protected. He was at comfort and ease, formerly. If you look at verse 23, and this is where it gets good, and this is where I want to read it. If you look at verse 23, it says this, Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. I think 23 is where it's all at. I think 23 could be one of the keys to unlocking the whole book of Job. Let's say it like this. Like the behemoth, this is point one, God's people who suffer should be strong and confident in the Lord. When you're going through hard times, you ought to think of the behemoth and say, I can be strong I can be confident in the Lord. Not in your own strength, right? The point is not your own strength. Maybe that's a point for the mythology, right? You know, the point is not whether these things are real or not. The point is you can be strong. You can be confident. When you walk through the valley, you walk through with Christ and you can have confidence in Him. So when the river rises, Behemoth says, who cares? Now I know we don't necessarily say who cares when, when we go through the valleys. We do care. We have a hard time. We feel weak. Then the Apostle Paul reminds us, but remember, when you're weak, you're strong. You're strong in the Lord. You can be strong in the Lord like Behemoth when you are in the pit of life. Because your strength comes from Him and not from you. Now, we have to shift a little bit here and look at Leviathan. Before I get to Leviathan, can I summarize what God is saying here? He's saying, Job, you have two choices in life when it comes to how you relate to me during trials, during suffering, during sickness, during pain. You have two choices. You can trust me, like Behemoth, or you can try to blame me which is essentially the same as trying to, you know, have your way with Leviathan and make him your pet. Try it. Try blaming me and see how it, where it gets you. So if God's Leviathan, 
Let's take a look at the passage again. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but I am going to summarize it. In verses, uh, chapter 41, verses 1 and 2, we find out Leviathan cannot be subdued. Neither can God. You can't tame him. You find out in verses 3 through 4 that he will not submit to you. You ever tried to make a deal with God? You ever tried to coerce him? You ever tried to say, God, I will do this if you do that? You ever tried to make him do what you want him to do? I'm not talking about prayer, people. Prayer's different. Prayer's calling out to the God who loves you that sits on the throne and asking for his favor and grace and help. I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about coercion. Trying to make him do what you want him to do. Maybe if I get 20 prayer partners, then he'll do what I want him to do in my life with this sickness. No, the reason you have 20 prayer partners is so that you have faithful prayer support, people that love you, and when God answers, 20 people get to rejoice because they were all praying about it. God doesn't say, you hit 20, I guess I'll do what you say now, you know? You don't get to coerce him. You can't coerce Leviathan. I love it when lots of people pray. I love our prayer chain. Let's get everybody praying. But we don't do it to twist his arm. Verse 5. You can't make him like a bird. He's not going to be domesticated. Um, I think that kind of speaks for himself. You can't tame this lion. Verse 6. He can't be commodified. It talks about merchants selling things. Can you like capture Leviathan, cut him up, and then sell pieces of him? God cannot be commodified, but oh, we try. You know, find me people that, that try to sell on Jesus' name and make a, make a fortune out of it, right? We try to commodify, but he really can't be. Remember Peter in Acts, when uh, somebody tried to buy the gift of the Spirit? I'll pay you if I can have the gift of the Spirit the way you guys have it. And Peter's like, you know, may your money and you rot in, in Hades, you know? You can't buy this. Um, verse 7 and 8. You can't fight him and win. That's very biblical. You can ask Jacob who came out with a limp. Ask Jonah who was swallowed by a whale. Take him on. It doesn't go well for you. You can blame him. I don't think it's going to turn out well for you though. Uh, you cannot, st- this is verses 9 and 10, you can't stand before him without fear. You ever read what, how people really react to God when they're in the throne room? You know, they shake, they fall down. And, and I'm all for friend of Jesus, I understand that, he is my friend. But, but I'm also in awe of him. And I see that when John sees him in Revelation, he just falls down. You, fall, you think you're not going to fall down? I think we're all going to fall down when we see him for the first time. You can't stand before him without, without shaking. He's incredible to see. Verse 11. He doesn't owe anything to every, anyone. He'll never pay you back for your good works because good works don't get you anything. It's only grace. It's free. It's unmerited. He's too strong to be bridled. This is 12 through 18. You can't bridle him. You can't tame him. Verses 19 through 21, his mouth breathes fire. You think about the words of God. He is a consuming fire. When he speaks, things happen. By the way, the fire breathing might be uh, a, a, a point for the mythological people. Just putting it out there, you know. The fire breathing dragon. Come on now, people. That's myth. Saying it. Um, and maybe that's where I'm leaning. Okay, fine. There it is. That's where I lean. 
Are you happy now? All right. Um, verses 22 through 32. He is impervious to attack. You can't fight him and win. People resist God. They try to fight against him. They can curse him. They can blame him. They, they can say, how can a good God allow evil? I don't want to worship that God of the Bible. You guys can have him. They can say all these slanderous things against him. It will not get them anywhere. It won't really get them anywhere. Just like a fight with Leviathan won't get you anywhere. Uh, third, verse 33, there's no creature like him. We know that. He's holy, holy, holy. There's nobody like him in the universe. And lastly, verse 34, he rules over the most proud. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar, right? Um, he rules over the top people of the world and reminds them who's in charge. And we can think of lots of examples of people with wealth and power and how quickly it goes away. He rules over everybody. So, do you want to take him on? Do you want to blame him? Do you want to shake your fist at him? You might as well imagine the most fierce animal or beast you can imagine and think about taking on that animal. It'll get you about just as far. That's the point. So I go back to the beginning. I think the main point of Job is not to bring you comfort. I mean, I think it does bring comfort. I don't think that's the main point of Job. I think a bigger point would be, do I trust God when I go through difficulty, or do I blame God? And God is saying, be the behemoth. Let the waters rise. Trust me. Be strong and steady in my power. Now, I want to end with this. Uh, I always love to do this. You know, application. Say you're here today and you say, I don't trust God very well. I recognize that. I trust me more than I trust God. I think my way is better than his way. I wish he would do things differently in my life. How do I trust God better? Can I give you just five practical, take it home, pick one of these, start doing it kind of things? Five ways you could practically start trusting God better. Number one, you could trust Him by praying and praising. And, and you're here today praising Him. Do more of that. Pray to Him. Prayer is dependence on God. People that don't pray probably don't pray because they don't depend on Him. Does that make sense? The fact is, you, you, you don't think you need to. You don't, you don't depend on Him. You don't really trust Him. You trust yourself this week. But prayer proves that you don't trust yourself. You trust Him more. So pray and praise. It just makes sense. Number two, you can trust Him. By the way, these are all the Psalms. I just went through Psalms. I looked up every word that said trust. I just started like categorizing it all. It was a blast. Highly recommend those kind of studies. I, I just looked up the word trust and, and saw what came up. Uh, how about this? You trust him by giving your tithes and offerings. How do you trust him for paying your bills next month? You trust him by writing a check to your church or to your missionary. You know, you, you give money to him. And that shows that you trust him more than you trust yourself. All those psalms right there are saying, don't trust him money, don't trust him money, don't trust him money. It's kind of a frequent, reoccurring thing in the psalms. Don't trust him money. Uh, you do the hard thing. And you write the check and you say, I trust you more than me. Because we don't got a lot, but we do have I'm still going to honor God with. Whether that's 10%, 5%, whatever percent, you make the choice, you do it. Number three, 
You trust Him by relying on His promises and on His character. His promises and His character. The only way I know how to do this is you open your Bible and you read about who He is and then you count on it. God, this week I'm counting on seeing Your kindness in my life. Even if I'm going through a hard time, I'm counting on rays of light breaking through the darkness as I experience You around me. Little things. People that love me, ways that you're going to show your love for me this week. I count on it because that's your character. You are love, and I think I'm going to see that this week. You are good, and I'm looking for it. You're kind, and I know it's going to happen. And that's not positive thinking. That is counting on the character of God. You can trust Him. And every promise He says is true. Number four. You can trust Him by submitting yourself to, your, to His will. And what I mean by that is sometimes His will is just keep doing good even when the bottom falls out. If you have to walk through something hard, if you have to own up to a mistake that's going to bring consequences, trust Him, grit your teeth and do it. Trust His will for your life. Whether it's difficult or easy, trust it and walk in it. And fifthly, some practical things. Last practical thing for you. You can trust Him by not trusting in other things. Uh, one of the most frequent ones in the Psalms is, don't trust in chariots and horses. Don't trust in military might. Trust in the name of the Lord your God. Trust in Him. And so even on a Memorial Day weekend, where we're thankful, so thankful for military might and the way it opposes evil, God ordained it to oppose evil, by the way. We trust in Him even more than that. He is where we put the focus of our trust. And there's other psalms there and other things people put their trust in, but you've got to break that and see where you're putting all your hope and break that down. Finally, um, I would say this. If you're here this morning and you don't know the ultimate source of our trust, Jesus, we would invite you to trust in Him today. Could I have you bow your heads and close your eyes now? Worship team, you can come up at this time as well. If, if you're here and you're saying, I need to trust this God, I can't fight Leviathan and win, I understand that now. Instead, I want to give my life to Him. Our message is that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. To pay for all of your wickedness, all of your evil, all of your wrongs, be they great or small, He paid for them. You can trust Him and that promise to forgive you. And if you want to receive that promise today, would you pray something like this in your heart? Lord Jesus, I recognize today that I've been fighting against you and I'm not going to win. You are God and I am not. You are King and I am not. So today I confess my sins to you they are many. And today I put my faith, my hope, my confidence in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Please make me a new person and please help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If, uh, can I have you keep your head down and eyes closed? If this was your day today, with your heads down and your eyes closed, if this is your day today and you prayed with me, could I ask you to look up at this time if this was your 
your day of coming to Christ? Was there anybody today that responded? I'm looking. Anybody? Okay. Thank you. And for those that are considering, keep considering. Father, may those that have heard this and have not yet stepped over the line, may there be a day when they do that and give you their life. Lord, may we now sing with the confidence of an incredible, powerful creature, confidence in you that we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.